This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of the Crown Cast. And uh, we played Nashville. We played Nashville, and when we did the post-react, we were surprisingly positive. And it turns out today that some of us are going to be surprisingly positive, and other people are going to have to tell you how they feel, and that other person is going to be Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. Uh, just off the top here, Ewan, surprisingly positive, surprisingly negative? Um, yeah, I think surprisingly positive to say it was a last-minute defeat. <laughs> I yeah. think usually that would, yeah. You come off a last-minute uh, defeat to a penalty, which is, obviously, we'll get into it. Was it a penalty? Was it a penalty? But, yeah, I think there's a lot of good things to take out of the performances. Uh, well, to take out of the performance and excited to get into it. Yep. Uh, so we don't, recently we've had so many games back-to-back, we actually get the chance to sit down and focus on a game this time. So we get to talk about some of the stuff that, unfortunately, we weren't necessarily so able to talk about uh, when it came to Atlanta or uh, the game after Chicago. Let's start. uh, We start this game really, really hot. And despite the fact that I said Brant Bronico was my person to watch and that uh, how he played in the midfield was going to determine a lot of our game, I think it's safe to say that absolutely no one, myself included, had him dribbling four people in the box five minutes into the game against the best defense in the league and scoring a goal. Does that that sound fair? I think that's, uh, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I don't think anyone could have predicted that. I don't think Brandt would have predicted that. But as Charlotte FC fans, we were more than happy to take it. Uh, Do you want to talk about this one, Ewan? You want to sort of give us some info on how this goal comes to be? Yeah, this was an interesting one because um, the signs of this goal potentially coming or how it was structured came in about the second minute where Brandt picks up the ball in a similar area uh, as where he picks it up from to score the goal and picks it up via a similar way of receiving it, which is receiving it from Justin Merrim in the half space coming inside from the left wing spot. And it kind of... um, it's it's an interesting thing because we've talked about fullback inversion for a lot of the season. It feels like one of the main talking points is the how the fullbacks are deployed, um, and for the most part, they have been inverted. And for the, for the most part, it's been Byrne who's been inverting as well when he's been out there on the left. It's been that left side uh, inversion from him. But with this goal, he actually just does a very uh, typical job as a left back in terms of just going down to the byline um, and overlapping his winger which creates a bit of jeopardy for the opposition right back moves them out a little bit and means that Brandt can get into that area to receive the ball in the box and have his first uh, opportunity where he receives the ball in there and then they don't actually make the fix on the second time and he receives it again which I think is interesting because even though Nathan Byrne is a right back, he's a right footer, him going down the left side is not entirely threatening if the ball's played to him. It's definitely something to think about in terms of what opportunities can be opened up if a fullback just does that conventional fullback thing of going to the byline, similar to almost a like a like a basketball game where a player, whether they're a good shooter or not, if you kind of stand up by the three point line, the spacing will come. So I think that's mm-hmm. definitely an interesting thing to investigate in terms of how that goal was created from there. I think the goal itself as well, it's very 
it's if you were to say Brant Bronico was to dribble through however many people and score, it was a very Brant Bronico type of dribbling because rather than it being this very kind of dainty and and you know sort of I don't I, I don't want to say skillful because it took skill to score the to score the goal, but it wasn't exactly gliding past players. It was like it was the most like. I've seen someone fight to to dribble past three or four players and then score. The goal is almost like a like a tackle by the end, like a slide tackle, which he directs into the goal. So, it, almost more than the dribbling past players and the uh, the scoring of the goal. I think his awareness to pick up that space that he did was the most impressive part of this goal and the way we opened up the opposition as a team. Who, like we picked up in the podcast last week don't concede a lot of goals and don't concede a lot of goals because they've got really good defensive organization and we did a really good job of picking them apart for that first goal in uh yeah that was that was kind of my main takeaway from it just going from that left back overlap creating that space which we, which we don't usually create because of how we usually play and as taking advantage of it, it it felt very intentional and yeah it 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 worked pretty much perfectly yeah i uh, i enjoy a lot of what you said there i do think that I was relatively impressed with how Charlotte FC came and did create chances against the best defense in the league. This one, I think, is a lot of credit to Brandt and at the same time, a lot of credit to uh, sort of grit and fight. You know, those are grit and fight are sort of soft factors you see in in movies about how, oh, well, we need players who have grit and well, whatever that is, right? I think Brant's first touch when he receives the ball with his back to goal is not the one he wants. And credit to Brant, I think he manages to use it to his advantage because it starts a chain of chaos dominoes in the box. And we talk about, or I talk about at times, players wanting to go fishing when they see an opportunity to intercept or to make a defensive contribution. They'll step out of their hole in order to make that defensive interception and that leaves space in behind where where they've stepped out of formation, right? I think Brant's first touch when I watched this back was just far enough away from him that it was just a little bit out of his control, not completely out of his control, but just a little bit. And that first defender said, oh, well, I can, I can get this, I can jump. And Brant did still have it under control, reels it back in. But in that moment of chaos, you sort of get the next defender going, oh, well, he barely recovered from that. I'll jump in. But in reality, Brant did actually, at that point in time, have returned control of the ball. And so by one sort of touch that was outside of his control, he managed to effectively 1v1 three defenders that probably wouldn't have 1v1'd him had he made a perfect touch. They probably would have boxed him out. They wouldn't have given him the space. There wouldn't have been the the gap to move into. It's a small gap. It's amazing that he moves into it at all. But I think that first touch actually gives him a little bit of edge in that it baits that first defender and then the dominoes just start falling. Uh, the goal itself to me is is just grit. It's a, a willingness to throw your body on the line and, and score no matter how you have to do it. So I think there's a lot of credit to Brandt there. I also think there's a fair amount of credit to Adilson Melanda in the buildup for this one who throws a really good ball, diagonal ball over the top to Justin Merrim. And it's not a earth-shatteringly good pass. You know, this isn't something that that you, you say, oh man, no one else in the league can do that. 
But that isn't Adilza Melanda's job normally. And for him to have taken up that good space, for him to have seen that option on the other side of the field and executed that that ball, we saw a lot of that stuff, sort of right backy stuff, clicking a little bit more. You know, I, I'm not saying he had a perfect game, but clicking a little bit more. And we can see it in the buildup here. If he's not the one who switches the field of play, this doesn't happen. So I think it's good on him as well. Any any final thoughts on the Brant goal, or should we just celebrate the fact that uh, only nine goals have gone in against these guys and we're one of them? Yeah, yeah I mean that that stat speaks to it that it was uh, it was pretty impressive for us to score as early as we did, and a credit to the staff for drawing it up the way they did. If if I am correct, and that goal did come about through intentionality in the in the way that we set it up just to uh, just to speak on the ball from Melanda I actually think this is a conversation that we had um when we weren't recording um when we were kind of just generally chatting about Adelson Melanda and talking about his, his his distribution and we mentioned that when he was playing for uh, Rodesh, which is the team that he came to Charlotte from. He was playing in a five at the back system, not as a right back that he was in this game in in uh, in certain situations, but as a you know the right sided centre back of that three. And one of the qualities that he had was that he was really good at these diagonal balls that you would see in games. He was really good at those outlet passes, and they were coming from deeper than he was uh, in this instance. But the trajectory is not all that different from those um, from when you watched him there to what this uh, what this pass from him look like so yeah it's it's definitely something that is not a fluke he's he's got this in his locker this this long range pass and it'll be interesting because our team doesn't exactly suit that kind of pass when we've got Merrim out there but in certain setups with a different outlet out there potentially it could be something which we tap into a little bit more so yeah I definitely think that Melanda deserves a lot of credit for that and it's something that potentially we can look forward to seeing even more in the future. Yeah. I think one of the things with young players like this is that everything they do can be seen as a trajectory upward. And it's really easy to do. And we have to rein ourselves in, but with the quality that Adilson has shown, you know, with the way he's now, and again, we have one game of evidence to this one and a half games and the half game wasn't great, but with what he has shown sort of developmentally on that right side, whether that's something that he continues and learns more in that right back slot or whether that's or uh, in that right fullback slot or whether he you know goes back to to central defense on that right side and uses his knowledge to benefit him he just looks a player and he looked really good in this one admittedly i think it's fair to make a note that they were playing a diamond midfield um in possession Nashville was playing a diamond midfield, so they were quite narrow in the middle of the pitch. And that did leave space for Adilson Melanda to not be instantly pressured on the ball. I think that helps. You know, I think that anytime a team sets up to inherently sort of fight against a particular player, that player is going to struggle. But he had the advantage to, or he had the, the time and space to take the stage. And I think he did a decent job of it. Let's move on, um, Ewan. I'm going to have to ask you because my brain's a bit fuzzy here. The big collision with Kalina was before their first goal, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know why my brain is flip-flopping these two events, but I knew it wasn't right. So uh, there's a big collision with Kalina. 
it is not a positive outlook for me. Can you tell me your feelings on this, Ewan? Uh, just in terms of the um, you know, intentionality of it, whether it was uh, intended or just kind of... Intentionality, what happens, how did it make you feel? I mean, it just... <laughs> it, I, it, I mean, this combined with the kick to the face that you took in Atlanta... You just think who'd be a goalkeeper? Like, yeah. <laughs> just they the take absolute, beatings, don't they? Oh man, yeah, they they deal with a lot, and you know, not a lot of praise particularly comes their way in general situations, and a lot of it's a position that comes with a lot of scrutiny. So that's that's one thing. McCullin has definitely been uh, been taking a few uh, taking a few hits recently. I think um, this this is one of those things where I I feel like the foul and then the the player gets booked for this uh, if I remember correctly. Um, he does. He gets a yellow. Yeah, I think you probably. I think that's just probably the right thing with this one. I think a booking for that because there is this combination of you know where, what's this player uh, player supposed to do in that situation in terms of you know getting out the way. There's not a lot they can do, but also at the same time, it's just a late challenge. Two players go in for a ball. Uh, one player gets it first. The second player gets the man. And anywhere else on the field, it looks different because a goalkeeper approaches the ball differently. They can catch it, uh, which means that the bodies collide in a different way. So it looks different and it can be interpreted differently. But I just think it's, yeah, a ball's there to be won. Two players go in for it. One player is later. The collision looks different for the reasons that I mentioned there. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I, but I do think he, a foul in a yellow is is probably the right it's the right outcome for this. I know there was a lot of thought that something intentional like this could maybe bring about a red by the way the collision is quite difficult, but yeah, ideally, so uh, yeah. We, uh, we're never afraid to disagree on the show, and I think this is going to be one of the places where there's potentially some interesting talk because for me, and this is something that I, I view off of the, the slow-mo replay that they show from behind the goal from sort of Kalina's side, uh, I think that there is no hope of that player getting to the ball. I think that that player knows there's no hope of him getting to the ball and knows that two or three steps before the collision, maybe maybe three or four steps before the collision. And I think everyone has a right to go for the ball. But I, I do think that there was an element there of there was a change of mentality from I'm going for the ball to, well, I've got all this momentum may as well run it through you and and show that I'm I'm here. And this happens a lot in football. There's a lot of this game that is hey, I'm going to show you that I'm not going to back down. Right? I'm going to hit you. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to be in your face. I am going to be a problem and you are going to have to, you know, figure out whether or not you can deal with me. And in this particular instance, I will be honest with you, looking back at it, I think he intends to hit Christian Kalina there. I think he knows the the ball is lost. I think he knows the play is dead. He realizes he has all this momentum and goes, what if I didn't, what if I didn't take it away? What if I jumped? And so it looked like I couldn't take my momentum away. And I think they probably collide no matter what. I think there's probably a little bit of a collision no matter what happens. But what I don't think he intended to do was end up hitting uh, Christian Kalina's head. And when he jumps, the way that the collision happens hits Christian Kalina square in the head. It looks really bad. It is very dangerous. And 
I do think that the the situation itself, probably the yellow is the right result in the end, but this is one that's just close enough. I mean, the lawyer in me can say, can can get away with saying, well, he had momentum. But when I look at that play and I look at that game, it's hard for me not to go, there's a player who who thought that he could show the goalkeeper he was big and strong and make the goalkeeper scared of Nashville's players and decided to leave one in. And uh, not a huge fan of that. How do you feel about that perspective? Yeah, I, I can, I can see how it's interpreted that way. I think, I think one of the things with, with something like this is that you're basically, you, you, you're trying to judge someone, someone, how they're, thinking aren't you that's that's one of those things like and, and i'm interpreting it one way and you're interpreting it another way i do i i just yeah I, I, maybe i'm just trying to see the better side of this <laughs> i, I, I don't know there, you, are you of that. are you over here trying to believe that human beings are inherently good it's usually not a great bet is it it's uh <laughs> no i, I do no. think that there's another point on this though that i think outside of just whether he meant it whether he didn't I don't know the percentage of what uh, exact percentage of how many surfaces in the MLS are, are grass, how many surfaces are, are turf like we have. But I know a Nashville play on a grass field, and if you look at how uh, the player is is trying to attack the ball, the the bounce catches him. Kind of, you know, he's not expecting the ball to bounce in that way because it, it the ball skids along the surface because that's what the ball does on turf. It it skids a little bit, and he. He kind of miss he misjudges that bounce slash the skid of the ball, and that gives him a little bit of uh, you know it gives him a little bit of extra momentum trying to catch onto the ball because he's not prepared for it, and that kind of charges up his his you know the speed that he's he's going towards the ball and slash Kalina and. I don't know if that's something that because he's trying to rethink the way he's going to attack the ball, maybe that slows down his ability to get out of the way of Kalina. But again, it's it's a speculation thing that I'm I'm putting forward do, there as well. I do think you make a good point there that I didn't think of, and that is because of the speed of the bounce. And anybody who's ever played tennis can tell you that the difference between a ball bouncing on clay and a ball bouncing on a hard court is incredibly different. The speed is different the uh, height of the bounce is very different it is possible that you know that was just in that margin where had that been grass that player would have felt like hey i'm gonna get to this at a 50 50 right and so he picked up that momentum in order to play it as if it were grass and then it skipped a little further i think i can i think of all the explanations i've heard so far because the video doesn't look good I think of all the explanations I've heard so far, that is the one that makes me feel the most comfortable with humanity. That's the, that's the <laughs> one that makes me go, this is probably where everybody looks the best out of this. I I have another tough question for you. And that is, they score not long after that. Uh, Hani Mukhtar is, again, a very good player. And he gets a stroke of luck. Uh, the The ball is distributed out by Christian Kalina. It is taken and intercepted, controlled by Nashville, and goes up to Hani Mukhtar, who does a very, very nice turn. He knows exactly where the space is behind him, manages to put his foot through the ball, 
absolutely, I've watched this one a thousand times now, absolutely no fault to me of Bill Tuiloma. It comes off of Bill Tuiloma. It deflects in a direction where we, uh, the keeper, Christian Kalina, is already on his wrong foot. And something you said very astutely earlier is it's, you know, it's 15 yards away from the goal and we already know it's going in. Uh, it's a really, really rough moment. It's a rough way to concede a goal because we have conceded so many goals like this in Charlotte FC's history. The, the pre-shot XG, which means, you know, if you had just taken a player in that situation from that position that took a shot for the goal they score is 0.02. It is very, 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 very small. It's 2% chance from that position that the ball goes in. Uh, the deflection is really about the only thing that can can make a ball shot from there under those circumstances where the keeper has vision go in. And this is one of those times where this margin goes against us. Um, you and for me, when I was watching this back, you know, time and time and time again, I happened to notice that the ball cleared out by Christian Kalina actually looks like a pretty good ball to Enzo Capetti on that right side. And Enzo just kind of lets it bounce by him. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. He um, he kind of sounds off the ball and uh, the headers won uh, by Nashville. Not really challenged at all. And then, yeah, do you, a couple. Do you have a good idea? Later, the goal. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a good idea what happened there? I mean, did did he think he had Carol Schroederski behind him? You know, was this a moment of of like his? We do know that later, unfortunately, he comes out with an injury. Um, you know, was this a moment of like maybe he was feeling his hamstring? Because that's very unlike Capetti for a ball to be anywhere near his area and him not try and touch it. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm pretty certain. And again, this goes back to trying to interpret what players are, are, are intending to do. But I'm I'm pretty certain that he sees. Swiderski making the move into the space where the ball would go if it got past the Nashville defender. And he's trying to leave that ball for it to get through to Swiderski. Um, what he can do is a better job of disguising his no touch. He can kind of approach the ball and, and, and pull out of it just a little bit to just try and maybe sway the defender's movement a little bit. But he, it's because there's, you know, if you, if you dummy a shot, you, you know, you put your body into position like you're about to shoot and then you don't shoot. This isn't even really a dummy because there's no real intention on his part to touch the ball. He is just, he's completely leaving it. Yeah. Um, so it's quite easy for the defender to know that he's going to get an unchallenged header. I think in his um, his interpretation of this, Capetti's this is, is that, you know, if I let this ball go and it gets through to Svodersky, he's he's one on one with a whole half of the field to kind of attack into. And if I if I run down the field with him, we can get a two on one kind of two on two situation where he can play me in, he can take it up to the goal, and maybe I'll keep a defender away from him, create a bit of space, he can get a shot off. We'll have a real good chance here in a kind of transitional moment, even though it's from our our you know, our Kalina kicking the ball out, it's still the game moving from one phase to another. Uh, in a way, it's sort of moment. He's making the bet of that versus if the Nashville player wins this header, then the ball's just 
you know, going back into a clutter, not in too dangerous of a situation for us. So maybe he's making that wager in his own head, thinking the payoff from what could come off if the defender doesn't get this is larger than the uh, the threat that from him just kind of heading the ball away. And what ends up happening for him is that we concede quite an unfortunate goal and it doesn't look great for him. But I'm pretty pretty sure that that was what he was doing. He he saw that Svidesky was moving into that area because he's facing the area which Svidesky is coming from and mm-hmm. kind of he's makes that way to... Exactly. And he, um, he, he kind of says, well, yeah, if I leave this and it gets through to Svidesky, we've got a real chance. But he leaves it. I... The head is won, and yeah, the goal happens. Yeah, I think that's a... I think this is an interesting one for me just because the the lead-up to that moment is so out of character for Capetti. Um, I I wonder, and this is entirely personal, we don't have any, uh, any information from Charlotte FC on this, I wonder if it was around there that he started feeling his leg. You know, uh, I think it was reported as a hamstring that was tight. Because I have never known Enzo Capetti to be anything other than a whirling dervish. I've never known him to be anything other than running at full speed. And the sort of, like you talked about, he didn't necessarily disguise it particularly well. Uh, I think if I was looking at it and his, if I was looking at Enzo Capetti in that situation, my first instinct would be he's going to take the ball. He's going to turn it inside. He's going to look for the pass up. And if not, he's going to hold people off until the attack flows forward. And then after that, I would expect like a big, big theatrical performance of then dummying the ball. And the fact that we got neither of those really made me go, especially seeing later, because I think it's the 43rd minute where Enzo Capetti has that ball over the top uh, that he has the opportunity to control. And I don't know if he chests it down or if he, he gets it with his foot, but he miscontrols it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the the ball from uh, from Merham. He uh, yeah, he, he yeah. miscontrolled it with his foot, and then it goes up onto his chest. Um, and yeah, this he... is like that chance. I think of that as Enzo, right? Like I think of that as Enzo Capetti. This is what he wants. This is the moment he wants. And it felt like a big misplay from Enzo in that moment. Now it felt like that to me. In reality, it's it doesn't take much of a mistake to miscontrol a ball with that much pace coming over the top at a weird angle. Like, very, very challenging thing. But I do think we get kind of a good dichotomy here of what happens when you get that first touch right. Because if you look just minutes before at Hani Mukhtar's shot, he has to turn the ball from a very weird position. He makes a perfect first touch. It is almost flawless into the space it needs to be for him to go ahead and take that shot. Just minutes later in the 43rd minute, we get this ball over the top for Enzo Capetti and the first touch isn't there. The in probably an easier position, the first touch isn't there. And whether that's a question of Enzo just having a little bit of an off off series for a few minutes because uh, players go up and down or whether that's a question of maybe there wasn't something quite right for Enzo. Either way, in both of those moments back-to-back, I think I personally would have expected just a little bit more of Enzo. Not necessarily a huge... I'm not calling these huge failures. Does that feel fair, or do you think I've I've looked too deep in the looking glass, Ewan? 
No, I think there's. I, I think it's fair that you can look at a chance like that, and well, I, I say a chance. The, the chance almost doesn't end up happening because we don't generate a shot uh, from it. But the opportunity that comes from that is is definitely kind of impacted. I think, yeah, from a mentality standpoint, maybe he is is at that point thinking, you know, if I'd have just if I've gone for that ball, the the game goes by a different script, and we probably still have the lead. So there's even that perspective of this, of him maybe thinking, oh God, it's my error, which has meant that we are losing the game. So you start overthinking things and that's when simple errors start happening uh, like that. Not to say that it would have been simple to bring it down, but you say that's that's the bread and butter of Capetti. You would expect him to thrive in a situation like that. Um, I don't know if, I mean, I mentioned the uh, the turf thing for the opposition player. Uh, maybe be an excuse for him. I think when you play on a turf field, maybe there's a bit, there's right. a little less now, sympathy. <laughs> now you and we can't, we can't, we can't use the turf as an excuse for everyone. Exactly. Everybody, we get one turf excuse per game. We've already used it. Uh, so, so sorry, Enzo Capetti, you don't get a turf excuse for this one. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe every player gets, maybe our own players get one a season, and maybe Capetti's already used it up at some stage because I know he complained about it. Well, didn't complain, just said it took some getting used to. Early oh, in the yeah. season, but I think by now, yeah, you would probably, you'd almost start getting uh, a bit surprised by how the ball bounces on grass if you're playing for Charlotte FC at the moment. So, yeah, I, uh, I that's probably not, a, probably not a fair, ex- well, <laughs> I think you'd be very generous to him to go with that excuse for that. So, um, but who, who knows? Things happen. Um, I'm going to move us along because I think there's kind of a, a bit of a tale of two halves in this one. I think that Charlotte FC did a really good job of getting the better of the first half. Uh, obviously, we create a couple of chances that don't come to shots and therefore don't necessarily show in the, the stats for shots, the Enzo Capetti one there being an example. I think we pretty much held Nashville to nothing for the better part of 45 minutes. Uh, The one goal that they get, like we said, comes off of a 0.02 XG, nothing. They have kind of a scrambly chance really, really early on and like like a minute in from a corner uh, that made me a little bit nervous. But, But other than that, this is a good team that doesn't necessarily want to go attack. And once the second half rolled around, I feel like it kind of became a a bit of a a stalemate. It became a bit of a Nashville willing to sit off a little bit and not necessarily go for it. You know, as far as the the first part of the second half is concerned, how did you see the game transition from the first half where sort of Charlotte was on top of the chances and was on top of the game to the second half where it kind of just became a almost a little bit of a training ground expectation? Yeah, this um, this game was was very interesting in that that period that you mentioned, um, the start of the second half, uh, until about sort of eighty minutes where things open up just a little bit. When uh, I think both teams make a few uh, a few substitutions, and it's interesting in terms of how maybe uninteresting it may have been to a general uh, a general viewer of, of of this match, because not a lot happens in that period, like say it's very stalemate because I think we have some games where two teams will meet each other and 
their strength attacking wise will match up very well for an exciting game. I think this game was the uh, was the opposite and was especially so in the second half because what ends up happening is we will Charlotte change up the uh, the structure of how they're going to defend from the front. So what ends up happening is that you get kind of the team split in half. So you have out of possession, you have the 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 five defenders where you have uh, Melanda playing on the on right wing back, um Burn at left wing back, Jones dropping right into play as a central uh, defender, pretty much in between uh, Tuiloma and Sobashinsky. And then what happens with the attacking five structure is that you have um you have Capetti and Merrim dealing with um dealing with the opposition centre backs. Um and then you have uh you have Tvidersky kind of playing centrally, but but the main thing is they they sit a little bit deeper in this early second half and they almost become like pretty much sitting in the midfield five to kind of overload against what you mentioned earlier is Nashville's diamond. So the early part of the diamond, Swiderski is controlling the six. Merrim and uh, Capetti are denying the ball into the two eights, the wide eights. And, you know, depending on how high Nashville have the ball and build up, they will sometimes be stood right next to them. And then the combination of the midfield pairing um, with uh, with Westwood and uh, and Bronico is basically just doing a combination of man marking and denying the passing lanes of the ball into Mukhtar. So that is almost like completely stalemated at that point for for Nashville because we've made as big a commitment under Latanzio as I've seen into denying the opposition. Because usually we are an in possession bait we we base our structure around in possession and we'll kind of we'll figure out the out of possession stuff like we'll work really hard, we'll do a lot of man to man stuff in terms of the press and if we don't win the ball, let's hope they mess up or let's hope it passes off, skids off our turf, etc. etc. Um so that's how we kind of dealt with them. And in terms of the stalemate in the reverse is um it's a little more simple, so I won't be uh as, as boring when it comes to that but it's basically just a case of we play with an incredible amount of players who want to be playing further inside merrim is a right-footed um left winger capetti is a winger who wants to play as a center forward uh, we have uh, nathan byrne who is a left back who is right-footed we have adelsa melanda who is playing at right back who is a center back so we have a team of players who all want to come into the center of the pitch against a team playing a diamond where everyone's in the center of the pitch. So the te- the, the teams are just congealing in the middle and we're almost denying ourselves taking advantage of the opposition by how we're structuring ourselves in possession, which you would think, you know, you'd be, you'd be quite critical of that. But ultimately, this is where the, uh, the, the lack of healthy wingers comes into this because against a team with a diamond, get the ball out wide, attack out wide, um, how do you attack out wide? Usually through wingers. Where are our wingers? They are all, <laughs> well, nearly all not uh, healthy and fit to play. So, yeah, our counter to Nashville setup was kind of denied by our injury report. Um, and that kind of brought about this 
30-minute period from the start of the second half to the 75th, 80th minute where you don't see a whole lot happen. And it seems like both teams are pretty happy with not a lot happening as well. Not a lot of changes are made to to disrupt the um, the stalemate. So, yeah, I think it's more interesting, that period of the game, when you dig into it like that. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe I just find it interesting, but it's... We're, we're nerds, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. We, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting from that perspective of like, hmm, when you dig into this, you can really see how this has got to a point in this game where these adjustments have been made, this adjustment has been made, a stalemate has been reached, and usually one team would want to take it off that, you know, off that curve, uh, or, or want to change the uh, the curve to get it more in, in their favour. But it didn't really seem like that was the case until quite late in the game, where I suppose both teams thought, well, we'll make some changes and, yeah, and see what well happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well roll the dice a little bit so, at the end of the game. Let me get in here because it feels to me like this was a game and I didn't really feel this until the rewatch. It felt like a game that was crying out for Kamal Yuzviak. And I think you've n- kind of nailed the, the point there that there would have been a lot of space for him to go and attack his fullback in sort of a more traditional Hey, I'm gonna run at you. I'm gonna, you know, have the option to go down the line or inside. We've talked at length about the fact that Justin Merrim, who I think played pretty well against his side in this game, really his option is to cut in. He doesn't really have the down the line option. Uh, he does have some very technical ability when he gets inside, and he does have the willingness to take a shot over the top, which I think is opening up a lot of other avenues for Charlotte because other teams have to commit to stopping that. You know, it's a it's a rare chance that the shot's going to go in, but other teams have to respect it. I think this is a game that was calling out for Kamil. I think it's going to be a, a rough one that he wasn't uh, available for because I think Kamil will have been sitting on the sidelines going, ah, oh, get me into this thing. I can do something. I can go and I, I can make my name here. I can I can put goals in the back of this net. I also think it comes down to the fact that we we discussed the game plan of Nashville being a very defensively solid team that didn't make mistakes and then had a couple players who could go out there and just win it for them. Uh, Hani Mukhtar. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. And when we score on five minutes into the game, we kind of throw their plan out the window. Right. Once we have gone a goal up, they have to to come out of their shape a little more. They have to attack us and we get a little bit of joy out of it. We get a couple balls of the top. We get some opportunities. Nothing comes to fruition. The goal comes back in and all of the sudden. They go back in at halftime. They talk to their coach. The coach says, all right, all right, guys, calm down. We know how to play our game. We know what we can do here. We're going to play a stable, solid play style and when they make a mistake we're going to pounce on them ultimately nashville was happy to sit back in this one nashville was happy to to take a little bit of the pressure and they gave a little too they tried to to you know respect the game and they tried to push the ball up on occasion but this was the game plan that everyone kind of thought we would see from nashville a team that is solid and was going to rely on individual brilliance to do something. Ultimately, Charlotte goes on. They push, they push, they push, 
They attempt to create chances. They get hit on a transition. And exactly what happened, exactly what would like to have happened for Nashville happens. They get a penalty. Do you want to talk about the penalty, Ewan? You want to walk us through it? Yeah, it's um well it's an interesting one because there was kind of a um <laughs> you get this sometimes with penalties where they're um they're quite contentious uh, and both sides uh well most decisions like big decisions like penalties can be contentious but this is one where I felt you see a lot like really adamant responses from either from either side of the argument where we just had a um a conversation earlier about the the goalkeeper collision and you know i i kind of seeing both sides of it so it's you know you you can speak about it and say well this didn't be able you there might have been this etc etc with this penalty both sides are like there's no way that this is a penalty how could this be given as a penalty and the other side is like well it's a slide tackle in the box that brings the guy down how could it not you know how could it not be a penalty versus how the how is this in the how in the world is this a penalty so yeah. and i can cut and again i get where the people saying it's not a penalty are coming from sort of because the player never has control of the ball and the you can argue that the the tackle that comes in is almost maybe designed a little bit more as a block for an anticipation that something's going to happen with the balls in control whether that be you know whether it's a shot or whether it's just kind of blocking the the first touch a little bit uh, rather than just an outright tackle but it's hard to make the case when you see the contact that this isn't a penalty and even though it seemed contentious, it's one that you watch the first replay of because now with penalties, you see them given it, but you know you've kind of got VAR in the back pocket to maybe get you out of jail a little bit. But you watch the the, the first replay and you think, yeah, VAR, VAR's not overturning that. Yeah. They're going to uh, see the contact and and yeah, that's, that's going to stand. That's going to be a penalty. So That one felt like a penalty to me. And when we get down to it, I talked about the number post-shot XG or pre-shot XG earlier, and this is an absolutely killer penalty take. Kalina goes the right way. He never stood a chance. Uh, If you go and you find the statistics on this, pre-shot XG is what you would expect a shot to have the chance of going in before the ball is struck. So from from the line, from the penalty spot, a a shot has about a 0.79. Why they didn't just call it a 0.8, I don't know. But a 0.79 XG, that's before the ball is struck, meaning 79 out of every 100 penalties are expected to go in. Once this ball is struck, the area that it is going to, you get a different reading. Once you can see the target, the speed, the way it was executed, it turns into a 0.99 post-shot XG. It is basically flawless. It is next to unsavable. You know, like we mentioned, Kalina goes the right way. It still doesn't matter. Sometimes you just have to be able to tip your hat. You and let's get off of this game because ultimately I think it's a game we play pretty well and we don't come away with the points. We talked about it before. A huge portion of the XG for Nashville is generated out of the penalty. The XG in this game is 1.0 to 1.1. Nashville comes away with a 1.1. 
again, a huge portion of it coming out of the penalty, which means in the actual field of play, when the game was happening, one, not a lot of opportunities were created, but two, Charlotte did edge themselves ahead of a very good team in that respect. We have to recover from from falling to Nashville, and we are going on the road to play an L.A. team that right now kind of looks like they're there for the taking. Do you want to talk to us about L.A.? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I just uh, just kind of one last final point on the uh, on the Nashville game. You mentioned there that second half uh, being uh, well. You mentioned the game where uh, our XG is is much much better. Uh, well, not much better, but much much better when you consider the amount that comes from the penalty and from the fact that the penalty comes from a miss uh, from Mukhtar in a in a kind of one v one situation because. Before that, that miss and then the penalty, uh, Nashville in the second half created uh, 0.05 XG, roughly. So that is something that Charlotte will look at going into this next game and be pretty happy with. Obviously, didn't end up very well because the penalty does happen and Charlotte lose the game. But yeah, that's just speaking to, to the kind of point of this game being a real stalemate in that second half and us doing a real good job defensively structure, probably as good as I've seen us in a half this season structure-wise. Uh, with regards to the uh, LA game against, uh, well, the game against LA Galaxy, yeah, I think if anyone's seen the uh, the standings, they will look at this game. And I think some people maybe who don't follow um, MLS widely beyond Charlotte or people who kind of focus on the Eastern Conference stuff because because that's more relevant to uh, directly to Charlotte. Might be quite surprised to see LA Galaxy where they are. Um they are at the bottom of the uh of the Western Conference, nine points from thirteen games. And you'd maybe think, you know, oh, what would be the you know the reason for that? I know that they're not exactly the Maybe we're expecting them to be right, right up there, but wasn't expecting them to be so bad this season. And I think the reason for them struggling so much this season is uh, it's layered. It's layered because I think that some of the players that they were maybe making a bet on to be good this season uh, have not panned out. And some of the players that they would have really relied upon to raise the floor of the quality of the side uh, have not turned out. Um, the two main players for them, I think it's it's pretty obvious to say, um, it's Chicharito, who people will obviously know, being at LA Galaxy a little while. His goals have dried up massively. He has uh, one goal in MLS this season, I believe, and they rely on him in a major way for goal output. So obviously one goal so far this season is not great. Uh, and uh, Ricky Puj as well, who has come over uh, from from Barcelona, which was obviously a uh, a big big signing, got a lot of attention at the time. Um, but again, he has played uh, twelve. He has twelve starts for them this season, one goal and no assists. So, in terms of the output that they're getting from major money, I imagine that they'll be putting into those two positions. Um, it's not great, and it's reflected in the fact that they only have. Uh, just the 10 goals this season. Charlotte nearly having double that with 19. So this is a team that struggles to score goals. And then you think about the other end, 
of the pitch. Do they do well defensively? Uh, conceded 23 goals so far this season. And defensively, I mean, maybe this is more of a personal thing in terms of how I think of their players. But I think that they have quite weak defensive personnel. Um, so this really is an opportunity for Charlotte to not only uh, win the game, but I believe this would be, you know, looking back on it, since we kind of had the Latanzio big picture conversation, this is a chance to pick up 12 points from a possible 15. Since we had that real right, let's look at this and look at the big picture aspect of this. So this is an opportunity to get 12 points from a possible 15 in a five-game stretch that, you know, is if it happens, we'll have pretty much turned around our season. And considering that the only game that we didn't win in that five-game stretch, we just analysed and came away pretty positively in our outlook of it, saying we were pretty unlucky. So I look at this LA game as a real, real opportunity to play against a team whose confidence, even though they weren't in the um, in the Cup against LAFC, anyone who followed that game will know that LAFC put out a very much um, sort of reserve team, so to speak, in that game, whereas the Galaxy were very strong in that game. Maybe just to try and get some confidence, have the players remember what it feels like again to be playing good football and and winning. But not only are they not a strong team this year, but they'll probably be playing with a team that's maybe a little bit tired from that game. I know we play tonight, but we'll have some rest as well, even though I know there's there's a lot of injuries, meaning that a lot of players that maybe we'd want to rest will have to play. Um, but it's a real opportunity. And the only thing that you could maybe, maybe the biggest case for LA in this game is the combination of the travel that we will have to make and the fact that we played a day later in the cup. But other than that, footballing reasons why we will struggle in this game are hard to come by. So, yeah. I'm and gonna, setting us up perfectly for a uh, defeat. Yeah, for, for us <laughs> to immediately, immediately get battered, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna come in here and say that you know for my thing to watch in this game, my thing to watch is just going to be that I see a solid defense. Um, I know that we should be able to go to a team that has a minus 13 goal difference, that is bottom of their conference table, that has the low or the, the highest amount of goals allowed. And this team, this Charlotte FC team, should be able to go score goals. We do not have Kamil Yuzhviak. We do not have uh, uh, Kerwin Vargas. There is now apparently some potential that we will not have Enzo Capetti. As of right now, he's not playing in the cup game. Whether that is precautionary or whether or not that's a symbol of something a little bit larger, I'm sure we'll be asked once that game goes live or post that game's finishing. This is a game that I think you have to be able to say to the the worst team in that side of the league. You have to be able to put them to the sword. And it has to be a feeling of dominance, right? It has to be a feeling of control. If we go to that game and our defense looks like they're going to get nothing, that we are suffocating them slowly, and then they get a 0.02% random flyaway ball that goes in, I'll be fine with that. But if we go to LA on the road to a team performing like this, and we, even if we, even if we shut them out, 
but we give them chance after chance after chance. They're consistently getting through our back line. They're, they're ripping us open, and it just happens to not fall for them that day. That will make me much more concerned because I eventually want to see this team become a team that can play its football. And where you start imposing that game in a season is on the teams that you should go beat up. And this is an opportunity for us to go get some confidence back, switch up from a, a bad loss, and go out and find ourselves a win. Uh, we do have one big piece of news, and that is Guzman Carujo is playing football. You and uh, Guzman's playing for the legacy. Did you see this? Yes. Yes. I saw that uh, announcement. That is the goodest of good news. Uh, this is a guy who was the, the core and rock and center of a defense that played very, very well during its first season. If he comes back healthy, again, we have seen this club being pretty cautious with people who are uh, returning from injury, probably correctly so. If he comes back healthy, he could be such a huge boon to that back line. He could bring a bit of of calm, a bit of an adult mind, a, a little bit of a of maybe a, a father figure to the defense of hmm. Charlotte FC. And I am really looking forward to seeing this guy play football again. I, I have to admit, even from a personal standpoint, I am just excited to see Guzman Carujo play football again. Uh, thoughts on, on Guzman before we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I believe it was kind of early August when this injury happened, wasn't it? A, uh, a, a ACL injury. And now we're looking at coming on to, I believe it, if I've got this right, looking at 10 months since that injury, which I believe projects pretty accurately to how long an ACL injury will usually take to go through the surgery um, and and do the rehab and, and everything like that. Obviously, all these injuries aren't the same. I imagine some can happen, you know, that can have a nine-month recovery, some can have a 12-, 13-month recovery. But we're right in that kind of area where it makes sense that we would be ramping up um, his um, his his return and obviously playing for Crown Legacy makes a lot of sense. So that would be the first move. In terms of what it can do for the uh, team, I mean, I'm 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 like the worst person to have on at this point because obviously I am like probably I might actually be the lowest person as far as Charlotte FC people who follow the team are on Guzman Carujo because he is a fan favorite. And people like him a lot and just kind of see his game a little differently to, my, uh, to how I do. But I'm not going to dampen anyone's excitement for this. And I'm also not going to expand on kind of why I don't like a player who's coming back from an ACL injury. Because it's a hell of a recovery. And yeah. the mental strength that you have to have to go through something like this is incredible. And I, I am think... excited to have him back because whether you think he's the best defender in the in MLS or whether you think he's you know this or that we don't have depth defensively really we so this help. helps massively uh that will about do it for today's episode uh mostly cuz we want to get out of here so that we can go and watch the Birmingham match which will be happening very 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 shortly again words very hard so <laughs> if you have decided to spend your time with us we love you if you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at the underscore crown cast. And if you want to find our blog, you can find all the amazing stuff that Josh 
and you and do at crowncast.net. Oh, we will talk to you again after we go and play and clearly beat Birmingham and then go take our next three points from LA Galaxy. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.